think we're alive. <laughs> really do it a bit better uh, feedback from from Facebook on this, but if I, yeah, if, if I had a friend that was watching it, I suppose. Yeah, I think we're live. All right, welcome to Black and White Football, and it's day four of the World Cup. Uh, we've got a lot of topics um, to cover today, and um, uh, Will and I are going to go through a number of them, and we're going to start off with last night's games um, and Croatia versus Nigeria. What did you think of that, Will? Um, yeah, it was a tight enough game, which I, I kind of thought might be the, the situation. Um, obviously, I think Nigeria were kind of unfortunate with um, their first goal, um, you know, kind of a ricochet header off a defender. Uh, so that was not a nice way to, to kind of go behind. And then obviously a penalty, which I think it was a penalty on Saturday evening. So disappointing for Nigeria. Um, I think Moses the deck. Uh, more times than Neymar uh, last night, so um, it was an interesting game, interesting game. How did you feel as a Nigerian fan? Um, yeah, I have to say uh, it was tight. I was not impressed with Croatia, but you could see that they had, you know, players that class apart, um, 1-11. to 11. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I felt Nigeria could have been more adventurous, especially going forward. They just seemed very... I thought nervous, but very just timid in their play, which is surprising for mm. one of the African teams. They usually kind of leave it all in the line and don't really uh, give much uh, cause for, uh, you know, cutting up in the back. They just kind of attack. Um, but I was very surprised the way they set up yesterday. Um, Moses, although he seems to be hitting the ground very, very often, he was <laughs> the only um, the only guy I felt was um, causing any sort of trouble for the Croatian team. Um, Croatia, like, I actually forgot the amount of good players they have when we were doing yeah. the preview. Um, when you actually look at their squad, they have, like, Perisic as well, and uh, mm-hmm. obviously they got Modric, Kovacic, um, and the defense is actually more solid than I expected them. But, you know, it was a good win for Croatia, and obviously the result, the other result in the group um, kind of puts them in good standing. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the, the Croatian squad is pretty stacked. You know, even look at the, the players that kind of brought off the bench, you know, like Kovacic and Brozovic. And there's a bit of controversy. I don't know, did you see this morning that um, Nikola Kalinic, he's played for uh, Blackburn Rovers when they were in the Premier League. Mm. Uh, but he's been sent home uh, from the Croatian team. Uh, so that's just going to happen in the last hour or so because apparently he refused to come on as a sub, uh, which wow. is absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah, absolutely Four. mind-boggling. I don't, don't know why you then why you'd ever do that you know, unless you were injured or something but um obviously being sent home there's obviously more to that story so uh their squad has been slightly weakened obviously they only have 22 uh, men in that squad now so mm. uh, it'd be interesting to see how they adapt and you know Kalinic is probably their you know substitute striker so if anything happens Manzukic or Kramaric then you know there might be um, might be an issue there for them that's a surprise, honestly. Like you mentioned, like it's the World Cup. It only happens every four years. And that's most mm-hmm. likely his um, last World Cup because he's one of their more experienced uh, players, I presume. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's a big shock, I have to say. Yeah, no, it's strange. I, I don't fully understand um, 
his reasonings there, but I guess there's more to, more to that story that'll probably come out over the, the next couple of days. Mm. Um, so yeah, just looking, I've got um the who scored kind of chart up of you know all the different players, the the main kind of uh, stats from the game. Uh, who scored is a great resource that that I use quite a bit. Uh, so it kind of gives individual player ratings. So um, any players kind of stand out to you that you want to kind of talk about, either on the Croatian or Nigerian side? Well, I thought Rakitic was very impressive for Croatia. Um, mm-hmm. Rakitic and Modric, they they weren't outstanding. They they weren't, um, you know, they didn't set the world alight on the pitch, but they were very solid and they just showed their quality, I, I presume, in comparison with the rest of the other players on the pitch. Um, mm-hmm. I felt on the Nigerian team, um, I wasn't impressed with too many people, I've got to say, but Ndidi, um he was doing his mm-hmm. job at the very least. He was breaking up play quite a lot. And in the second half, he was trying to make an impact coming forward. Um, in terms of disappointments, there wasn't really any disappointment on the Croatian side. They were just, you know, pretty solid. Um, no one was absolutely terrible, but no one, again, really, you know, showed showed up, in, in my opinion. But I was very disappointed mm-hmm. with Igalo and the Nigerian team. Um, I presume that little purple patch, that kind of hot uh, run of form he had at Watford a couple seasons ago, yeah. um, it just hasn't come back because uh, towards the end of this season, he was kind of a non-entity at Watford. And like yesterday, he was it was as if they were playing with um, nine outfield players rather than ten. So I think next yeah. next game, they'd be a lot smarter to start with Iniacho than Igalo. Um, and yeah, that's my opinion. What about you? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I was going to ask that question about Ianacho. Like, he didn't do a whole lot, but, you know, he didn't have that much time compared to Igalo. And I think Igalo hasn't been doing much for Watford recently because he actually moved to China. Um, mm. So he, he took the money and ran. So um, oh. I haven't seen or heard anything from him there. So I don't know if he's um, on the more Watford style form or if he's. I think you're breaking up there. Hopefully they'll do better. Um. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I just missed that last part there. Could you repeat that? Yeah, and I, I'm just saying that you know, like obviously Nigeria need to uh, kind of bring their A game now for the the next game. They need to to get a result because um, they, you know, they're they're bottom of the table at the moment and they they need to get something going. Of course, of course. Um, but in comparison, I think Croatia, you know, when we were talking about dark horses, actually, I actually failed to mention Croatia as one. And if they mm-hmm. can do one over Argentina and uh, finish top of this group, they could um, give themselves every opportunity of getting to a quarterfinal or semifinal berth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I think that kind of moves us on kind of nicely to uh, the other two teams in that group being uh, Argentina and Iceland. So obviously, Ronaldo kind of hit all the headlines after his Friday night performance. Uh, everyone was kind of looking at Argentina then and obviously looking to further the Messi v. Ronaldo debate. So, mm. you know, the, the picture I've got up here has five players surrounding Messi. <laughs> um, don't think he did himself any justice. In terms of um, his performance, you know, mm. it wasn't terrible, but yeah, definitely didn't live up to, to his kind of standards. And you know, Iceland clearly had a had a game plan to try and nullify him because 
you know, while there's other good quality players in Argentina, he is everything about them that's good, really. So, what did you think of this game? Um, I thought the game, from Iceland's perspective, was as perfect as you can get. Obviously, they didn't want mm-hmm. to concede that goal um, that Aguero scored, um, but that was just a bit of class from him. But getting that goal, the, the comeback goal, so quick, and kind of then mm-hmm. responding with such a decisive, solid performance, especially at the back, and kind of taming Messi um, in terms of what they did. And, you know, I, I feel like when Messi plays at Barcelona, he, I don't know, I don't know if, it, if he trusts his teammates more, but, you know, you see him without the ball a lot as well. Um, you know, his off-the-ball movement for Barcelona is very underrated because, you know, you have so many other players that can take control at that Barcelona team. While when he's playing with Argentina, it just seems like all things go through him. Like, if he does not touch the ball on one given offensive possession, it's the end of the world. And I think Iceland yeah. caught on to that. And the minute he, like, smelt the ball, as you can see in this uh, image, there'll be, like, five, six players, like, just at his ankles and making sure he's got no real avenues to go with the ball, to dribble or to pass. And um, I, again, I was super impressed with um, Iceland. People criticize them, saying they're very defensive-minded. But when you have a population of 300,000 people and 2% of your population is basically at the World Cup, um, you, know, <laughs> uh, you can uh, understand why they're so jubilant. On the other hand, I think Messi, especially after the Ronaldo performance beforehand, is going to be, you know, a little bit disappointed. And, but again, he is talked about as the best player in the world for a reason, so I expect him to bounce back. Yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of people just judging everything off one game, uh, it's not really uh, an accurate representation, you know, like um, you don't win a World Cup in one day or you don't become the best player in the world based on one game, so uh, a lot more to go. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they respond next because, um, you know, it is um, it is a tough group and Croatia and Nigeria are the next two teams that they've got to play, so um, no real easy games for them there. And, you know, like it would be potential shock on the cards, you know, if they don't get a result in their next game. Um, mm. It could be crashing out. Um, but I don't know, did you see um, the, the pictures of Diego Maradona in the stand? I did, I did. He, he seemed to be <laughs> yeah. having a good time before the game, but not so yeah. much after. Uh, yeah, definitely. Like I, I don't think he lives his life any other way of just doing what Maradona wants to do. So it's nice just... picture of him here with a, a cigar. And you know, there's other clips then of big, massive ads on the uh, in, gate, in stadium uh, screens of you know smoking his band in the stadium, like, and then you got Maradona in one of the boxes, <laughs> just not giving a shit really, care. like, so he does not care, not at all. Not care in the world, but the Argentina manager at one stage. I know that was the last World Cup, so like Argentina have had great talents for the last while, so mm-hmm. they just need to put it all together. You know, obviously, I think their defense is probably their their weakest area, and you know, yeah. just have the who scored thing up right here, and you know, Caballero, uh, not the best goalkeeper either. He's just no. kind of um, a backup goalkeeper for Man City, and then for some reason, Chelsea signed him uh, last year. Um, so definitely not great. Uh, not sure what happened, uh, Romero, because he wasn't on the bench either. So um, he is in the squad, but we'll see if he regains fitness. Um, mm. So. 
Any of the, the players here uh, kind of take your eye or disappoint? Obviously, we've kind of talked about Messi, but a um, bunch of other players here. No, like, when I say Messi disappointed me, like, um, I, his performance overall wasn't, like, exactly horrible. You know, it's just the main fact that he kind of missed the penalty and I think his team sort of let him down in terms of um, avenues to create opportunities. Um, so, like... I wouldn't say Messi's performance overall was horrible, but like I suppose we judge him by the superhuman standards that he uh, he creates, which is why we're so hard on him. But in terms of yeah. other um, in terms of other players that uh, formed or didn't, I would say, you know, Otamendi like uh, it rates Otamendi quite highly here. But in my opinion, I believe Rojo and Otamendi weren't that impressive. Um, that's just my opinion. Um, obviously Rojo was a big uh, was a big part of the goal that they conceded with the ball going through his legs, and mm-hmm. um, as it ricocheted and eventually reached Finn Bogson. I probably butchered that guy's name. Um, <laughs> yeah. And in terms of Iceland, now there's not one guy in my opinion that um that done great. It's just I think the team effort. Obviously Finn Bogson was the guy that put the ball in the back of the net, but in terms of the game plan that they they had, and then their goalkeeper was absolutely fantastic and made some great saves um, to deny absolutely. Messi and Co. Um, I think it was just one of those situations where a great team managed to halt a great player. Yeah, definitely. You know, like looking at the the stats here, you know, Argentina twenty seven shots to Iceland's eight, so that keeper was kept busy, even though all those shots weren't on target, obviously. But mm-hmm. um, you know. It's, 77.9% possession to 22.1% possession. So, again, Iceland players were, were chasing the ball a lot, so I imagine they left it all out there on the pitch. Um, so, yeah, crazy game. Um, do you think Argentina might look at changing um, their starting lineup? You know, like, it doesn't seem to, to quite work the, the way they have it right now. And, you know, you got players in an attacking sense like uh, Higuain, Diabala, uh, Pavon on the bench, um, so it'd be interesting to see if they they change that. Um, do you, do, I, I don't, I don't, I don't really know because um, like Aguero came out there, scored a goal. Messi is Messi. Mm-hmm. Um, Di Maria on his day is probably one of the, you know, best left wingers, best wingers in general in the world. So like mm-hmm. I can't see you replacing him. Metza possibly. Um, I suppose you could put Dybala, but you know I don't believe Jorge Sampaoli. Uh, you know, Dybala is still young, and I don't believe he's willing to just give Dybala, you know, that starting berth just because of reputation alone. Um, but I suppose if I were to put a player in there, um, the only the only guy I can think of is Dybala. Um, mm-hmm. Higuain, I, I prefer Aguero up front to Higuain because Higuain is the type of player that you need to change your whole system for. Um, right. And I just... He's a he's I see more in the Giroud role. Maybe bring him on in the last 20 30 minutes because he is a strong, powerful, direct striker that could maybe add a different dimension later on in games, which they try to do. Um, but I don't believe it was a problem with the personnel, honestly. Like, there's no defenders there that's going to improve the defense. Um, yeah, everything goes through Messi, and I think they kind of live and die by that sword. Um, so it's more of a case of. Messi just picking up his performance and uh, making things click for the next game. What do you think? Yeah, like I would um, 
definitely bring in Diabala and Metz is definitely the, the player for me to kind of make way or Di Maria like because um don't think he had his best kind of game at the weekend um but you know it's obviously not up to me to to pick and choose who starts but Diabala has to to start you know he's an absolute beast of a player for Juventus for over the last kind of couple of seasons and uh previously in Serie as well so uh, I think he's he's got a got a start or you know he didn't even uh, come off the bench on on Saturday in Iceland, so he needs game time, and you know he's a player who can do something. And share that workload with Messi because you know, as you said, like Iceland identified Messi as being like almost guaranteed to touch the ball multiple times in Argentina's build-up play. So you know, if you can uh, spread that risk with another player like uh, Diabala who can uh, do amazing things on the ball, and you know, even if it's creating more space for Messi, then I think that's totally worth it because uh, I don't think Metza really kind of performed that. Um, rolled very well for Argentina in terms of freeing up a or, or providing a, an outlet for Messi to to look to. So uh, I didn't see who they who they uh, start next game out, but mm. uh, I think we should move on now to um, Denmark versus Peru. Oh, this. Uh, so what did you make game, of this game? This game was emotional. Like mm. I, I really wanted Peru to um, like not against your boy Christian Eriksen, but. Like, <laughs> I really wanted Peru to get something, especially after Cuevas, who um, unfortunately missed that penalty. Um, yeah. Obviously in tears at halftime. Um, I I honestly felt kind of an emotional attachment to them. And if both my teams end up going out, I suppose Peru will be my dark horse because um, uh, after, even after the penalty miss um, and them going a goal behind, uh, they didn't back down. They kept pushing, they kept pushing. I just think it wasn't. It was just the lack of quality on on Peru's end, because um, they just got so close, and you know mm-hmm. they they made the adjustments that they needed to make. Um, and Denmark, who are trying to remain tight and solid, um, and kind of break on the counter, they got um, exposed a couple of times by Peru because they were very imaginative, very you know adventurous. Um, they had players, even such obviously uh, Cuevas was. Um, their their main man in terms of creativity, but even bringing on Guerrero, the guy who was uh, controversial mm-hmm, yeah. in terms of the drug ban, he kind of even added a different dimension because I have to say Farfan, I'm pretty sure you'll bring up the 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 stats there in a minute, and uh, Farfan was very very non-existent, um, and he's the guy that main guy that kind of disappointed me in the whole Peruvian team, um, but Denmark, you know, they remained, I suppose unfazed by what whatever happened and they got the result and then they go forward with the with a big big win in this group yeah definitely i think it was important for them to kind of get off to a win and they they kind of played for that you know like i don't think it was ever going to be a high scoring match and obviously got lucky that cueva kind of blew in the ball uh, over the bar for the uh, the penalty at halftime so yeah it was crazy seeing um his tears at at halftime you know like because you, fair enough at the end of a match or at the end of a penalty shootout, but you don't really tend to see that uh, during a game. Um, so I guess it was kind of one of the primary roles at halftime to kind of G him up again and get him ready for the, the second half. So, yeah, I've got the, the who scored uh, up uh, right here. So obviously we've kind of mentioned Barfan being disappointing. Uh, you have to kind of came off for Guerrero. Mm. Poulsen got the ball or the goal for Denmark. Eriksson with the assist. And Katzer Schmeichel here got um, man of the man. match. Um, 
according to who scored. So that's an interesting one, obviously. And you can see the shots as well from both teams that, you know, Prue kind of dominated with 17 uh, to 10. Um, so I think you know, Schmeichel was busy, but, you know, I think if he had saved the penalty, I think it's, you know, a man of the match performance, but um, it's an interesting uh, kind of rating scheme they've got here. Yeah, they, they've given, they've been very harsh on our old boy Cuevas, um, Mm-hmm. Uh, which is very surprising because uh, I thought he was a big part of every Peruvian attack. Um, it was always, it always seemed to be Cueva or Carrillo on the right hand side mm-hmm. that you know they were the two main guys that kind of brought everything together for Peru. And um, obviously, like I said, I mentioned earlier, um, Farfan was kind of disappointed and just uh, did not really add anything to their attack. Um, Denmark, on the other hand, you know. Ericsson was his normal self, I suppose, in the second half. In the first half, he was very isolated. I, he looked, his body language looked very frustrated. But he was the one that got the assist in the end for Ram Paulson, which mm-hmm. does not surprise me at all. Um, and then yeah. you know, the defense, Christensen, I think I'd go with that. He was very solid. And Kiara, you know, they weren't special. But they were drawn out of position at times. Um, so they will need to improve vastly for the next game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's a it's a solid enough uh, Danish team, and obviously getting points on the board, they've set themselves up uh, nicely now for the for the next round of games. Mm. Um, I would love to see um, Casper Dahlberg um, get onto yeah. get onto the pitch. You know, uh, I felt uh, he could have added something, but I suppose when they had the goal, they weren't focusing on scoring; they were just focusing on trying to shore up the result. But uh, hopefully, in the next game, because I think he's a very exciting talent. Definitely, yeah, I know he's had a great season for Ajax and hugely rated and linked with a number of Premier League teams, so it'll be interesting to see him get some game time. Uh, but now I've got the picture of the Peruvian manager, so this is his uh, reaction to Cueva missing that penalty. So oh, uh, there's been a bunch of memes on the internet that he looks like Rockstar, you know, that he looks like Iggy Pop and stuff, so um, he was definitely annoyed. But, you know, one of the, the stories of the tournament so far for me is the 40,000 Peruvian fans that are that are in Russia right now, so they've brought a hu- absolutely huge support, and everyone's oh, it, it was you know like fully vocal and stuff. So, mm. yeah, so it seems to be um, a Latin America kind of dominated uh, tournament in terms of fans, um, a lot of Mexican uh, fans, Peruvian, Brazilians, Argentinians. Um, so it'll be interesting to see um, the flair that they bring and the the fanfare associated with it. So. Um, I don't know if that means that Europeans didn't travel as well, or if they're, they're the South Americans are just. Uh, um, so yeah, kind of moving on to the the next game now. So uh, the picture we've got up here is uh, Kolarov. Obviously, he scored that uh, free kick on another game on Saturday. So did you manage to catch this game? I managed to. I, I've I've uh, been fortunate to catch all the games um, so far. Mm, nice. Um, and. Uh, this game, honestly, again, it was another situation of two, I would say, two, nerv- two nervous teams, two very cautious teams, and just the quality managed to, to show out. Obviously, that mm-hmm. free kick was uh, out of this world, and we've seen some, some pretty free kicks so far um, leading the way with Ronaldo. Um, but uh, this wasn't a game that you'd be watching in 10 years' time. Um, even today, yeah. I, I think I've forgotten most of it because I was like falling half asleep until that last until <laughs> that, that free kick. Um, so I'm impre- impressed with uh, Serbia, and um, 
will they do anything later on in this tournament? I don't know. They have the players mm-hmm. for it. But in terms of getting this group, they should be definitely focusing on getting out of the group, in my opinion. Yeah, 100%. Um, and they probably would be a lot of people's uh, dark horse for, you know, obviously not winning the tournament probably, but, you know, progressing through the tournament because they're absolutely stacked with, um, with with players of, you know, kind of Premier League experience or mm. high-level European experience. Uh, so I'll just pull up the, the teams. And uh, so I think Milenkovic at the centre-back, he looked uh, looked like a very good player, big, strong, pretty confident on the ball as well. Obviously, Ivanovic and Kolarov as uh, left and right back um, that a lot of Premier League fans would know a lot about. Obviously, mm. Matic in the, the centre center of midfield um, has been absolutely beastly for Man United this past season and then previously for Chelsea. Um, and then, you know, like my kind of pick before the tournament started to announce himself on the world stage of Milenkovic Savic. Um, so I think mm-hmm. he he did well. He wasn't too impressive in the first half, but I think in the second half he kind of found his stride and yeah. you know, very skillful. You know, he's playing the ball over people's head and continuing on and being strong to, to get to the ball. So I think uh, absolutely huge, um, huge player. And Kovic did well enough up front. I don't think he's as clinical uh, with the ball in front of goal as he possibly should be. But, you know, he's big and strong and, you know, he can occupy uh, any sort of defense. So I think he can help bring other players into the um, into attack. So um, definitely a very, very good squad. Uh, they have they have an amazing what they do. squad, and um, if you if you look at that bench as well, they have two hidden gems in uh, Luka Jovic and Andrei Zivkovic, um, that not mm-hmm. too many people know of unless you follow your European football. Um, and if they if they got into that pitch as well, um, because uh, you know none of their wide forward players did anything to um to kind of set themselves apart. You know, if they brought those mm-hmm. other two players on, um. Serbia could be even more dangerous. They're, they're, like you said, a dark horse. Teams that go up against them in the knockout rounds, if they do make it that far, did not take Serbia lightly at all. And because we all look at their big players such as Savage, such as Matic, um, but they mm-hmm. do have some young, excited players ready to make a splash. In terms of Costa Rica, um, big disappointment with uh, um, Joel Campbell. Obviously, he's like their, their one real big name that you can kind of talk about. Um, Guzman as well came off the bench, uh, was not really uh, a big uh, impact either. Um, mm-hmm. You have to think Costa Rica probably, that was probably their chance to kind of get a result. Because um, they did well, I suppose, to hold them up until that big free kick. Um, but again, going forward, I don't really see too much. Um, and uh, you have to think that they're going to need some big miracles for them to get out of this group. Yeah, yeah, obviously they kind of surprised everybody at the the last tournament, uh, but they haven't kind of got going uh, so far. And yeah, Joe Campbell is probably the the name that people kind of recognize. And apparently he's still at Arsenal, but just out on loan again. He's um, on loan in Spain. Uh, but Brian Ruiz, um, yeah, forever on loan. Um, Brian Ruiz, uh, you might remember him from uh, Fulham. Um, he didn't really kind of do much, but he's another kind of talented kind of number 10-ish kind of role. And then obviously, Kaylor Navas in goal is um, probably their, you know, he's not world-class, but I'd say he's definitely their, their best player. And, you know, he, he produced some some fine saves. He's in, uh, 
multiple Champions League winners. So um, shame for them uh, to kind of do something in uh, Serbia. But um, yeah, there'll be another game for them in a couple of days where they can see if they can um, see if they can bounce back. Um, so yeah, moving on now. Uh, obviously, we're we're kind of wrapping up games from um, earlier yesterday. Um, so then, obviously, the game that everyone probably tuned into was uh, Brazil Switzerland. So I think no matter who they're playing in the World Cup, I think people will always kind of tune in just to see see the the style and the flair that Brazil are bringing. So what did well, you make the game last night? They didn't bring much style and flair yesterday, <laughs> did they? Um, apart from um, Coutinho's uh, Wonder goal, um, which was very wonderful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> apart from that, um, they they were just seem to be um, frustrated. It's been kind of the story of the tournament so far with most of the big teams, even the big teams mm -hmm. that are winning, such as France. This, these other teams seem to be stifling them, making things frustrating. It's not it's not obviously making for the best football to watch either. And Switzerland. Right knew what they had to do they came there with a job they got such a sloppy comeback goal too it wasn't you know um wasn't something to be clapping at but they got the goal and um they just made things hard for those three of jesus neymar and coutinho and um, neymar he it, it was kind of like a similar story i guess with iceland um with messi yeah. and a lot of players surrounding him not letting him kind of do his work and the rest of the team it just seemed we're kind of just watching Neymar kind of get flustered and not really help with, you know, decent off-the-ball movement. Um, I wasn't impressed with uh, Willian either. I felt mm -hmm. he could have done them um, and he could have created more of an impact. But what do you think? Yeah, yeah, obviously, um, Coutinho's kind of opening goal was an absolute worldie. The, the, when you see it from behind um, his perspective, you know you can see the the whip on the ball, and it's absolutely uh, top class goal. Um, I think Brazil seemed to be like kind of overconfident and kind of like almost too casual after that kind of went in, and uh, they didn't really kind of hit the heights you would expect for them. And you know it's an interesting call that they got to make. Um, obviously, we've got these three players up uh, for a reason. I think Coutinho and Neymar, yeah, they won't be dropped, but. I just wonder if um, Firmino might come in for, for Jesus and give them a better striker to, to kind of lead the line. Not that Jesus is a, a bad player by any means, but he's in a different style to Firmino. And Firmino, like what he does for Liverpool, he you know operates kind of like a false line, but he also can lead the line and kind of works very, very hard for the team. Um, and then obviously when they've got different stars behind him, like Neymar and Coutinho, he can help kind of bring them in. So I think uh, there might be a decision there. Um but what did you think about um, a lot of all the Brazilians in January were going to push, and you know a lot of commentators after the game and pundits were were suggesting as well, you know, definite push in the back, and they were surprised that VAR didn't uh, pick it up, as you know, it's um, push in the back is you know definitely a free kick anywhere else in the pitch. So I guess what did you think of the the Switzerland goal? Um, you could, that's just a case of uh, the referee making the safe decision. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it, pro it probably was. Um, you know, it probably was anywhere else in the pitch. Um, going to be given, but uh, when it's you know in that hot spot and with uh, 
when it's in that hotspot and with um, you know such high stakes uh, in this situation, I just feel that the referee kind of copped out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, but yeah, you just wonder why uh, VAR didn't kind of interject and say, "Do you want to have a look?" Um, well, but, I, I think yeah, so I far it's... that uh, VAR has been very inconsistent. You know, I think mm-hmm. the, yeah. the best, uh, if I can remember correctly, the best, uh, the best showing of VAR was actually for that miss penalty. The referee didn't give it. Then uh, mm-hmm. played on. Then VAR came in and said, hey, you should look at this. Um, you should relook at this on VAR. The referee went there, concisely saw the, the replay, gave the penalty, missed the penalty. But, like, it was very nice and quick. And, you know, VAR saw something that may have been worth looking twice. And um, they went back at it again. In this situation, you can't really blame the referee. you got to blame the people behind the scenes um, doing the VAR. And unfortunately, that they didn't do the right decision. Yeah, and no, obviously, there's people involved in a decision-making process. So, you know, there's always going to be human error. So, you know, there will always be um, debating points and, point and of, everything like that. And That's the whole point. Sorry, I might get a bit passionate here. But that's the whole point of, um, <laughs> of VAR, to eliminate the whole human error, mm. uh, error point of it. Um, obviously, they've seen it. They've seen the replays. And- and they just chose not to, uh, you know, give it. Uh, either they just didn't want to. Uh, I I don't know what any situation could be. In this situation, they just got the they got the decision wrong not to uh, tell the referee to, um, you know, look at VAR. So that's a that's small right. failure, I suppose, on VAR in the World Cup this year. Hundred percent. Um, so talking about uh, Switzerland, what did you make of uh, their performance? I think uh, Brahimi had a great game. Um, you know, he put in countless tackles and, you know, kind of won the ball off Neymar, you know, so many different times and forced him wide and, you know, forced him to dribble the ball out of play at one point. So um, who did you think uh, played well for, for Switzerland? Yeah, you're, right. you're definitely right. Brahim him all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, Shakiri did a, put in a decent shift as well in terms of trying to create a, a threat on the on the other side. Um, but again, apart from those two players, it was kind of a, uh, a team effort in terms of overall stopping the threats of Neymar, uh, Jesus, uh, Gabriel Jesus, and the rest of the team. Uh, even mm-hmm. the goal that Brazil scored, it had to be basically all for them to, to, get, to kind of get past uh, their, their goalie. And if you look at the players that they brought on as well to just... Um, see the game out and um, I thought uh, d- despite what uh, these guys here say I thought um, Mbolo um, was quite impressive in terms of uh, holding the ball up and just creating a, a nuisance so Brazil can just only focus on attacking um, in terms of the Brazilian side Neymar he, he, he says he's the manager of the match here um, I felt he was okay obviously He's not a one-man team, and the rest of the Brazilian side had to uh, kind of help him in terms of creating opportunities, which I guess they failed mm-hmm. to do. Um, Coutinho, he seems to do it also. Like I think it's a little Coutinho as well. Like it's either he scores a, a wonder goal and then he's completely, you know, silent until he mm-hmm. scores another wonder goal, and then he's like seen as the best midfielder in Europe. Um, and I, I felt that's kind of what you saw today. You know, he scored a goal, but apart from that goal, 
Um, I don't know where you really saw too much of him in the game. Um, right. Paulinho on the right side of that mm-hmm. midfield tree was kind of silent as well for me. Felt they were quite um, maybe too too balanced. You know, I could have thought they could have obviously the fan in me wants to see more goals, so obviously yeah. I'm going to say they should have put on more attacking players. Um, but uh, I did feel that they they were just a little bit cautious in my opinion. Um, again, like all the big teams seems to be doing, and it's costing these teams. Yeah, and I think all the the smaller teams facing these uh, big teams are kind of bringing their A game and and sticking to a very uh, regimented uh, kind of game plan to you know keep attacking players like Neymar and Messi uh, mm. silent, uh, but obviously then you know kind of operating more as a, a team and you know the whole collective is is greater than some of their parts. Um, so been interesting to see from that perspective. And yeah, I kind of agree with you. I'd I'd like to see Mbolo start for for Switzerland next time because yeah, huge young talent and. Um, you know, he's had a bad injury after his move uh, to Germany, but I think he looks like he's back to fitness now. So it'll be interesting mm. to see if he if he gets more game time because uh, I don't know if their other striker is um, as impressive. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, just on Shakiri, um, obviously he's got relegated with Stoke last season. Um, rumours that there's like a 14 million or a 12 million pound uh, release fee. Uh, who do you think the Premier League would be kind of looking at him or or any other teams in Europe? You know, well, I've heard I've heard he England, and um, I don't know if this will interest you, but I've heard the main mm-hmm. um, the main team that kind of wants him is Tottenham actually. Um, yeah. So uh, I don't I don't know how that would work because uh, he's a kind of a similar player to Ericsson, um, mm-hmm. nearly identical in some ways to Ericsson. Um, so I don't know if that's the right choice to go to. Um, I think a team that would definitely fit him, and you might think this is a long shot, but I think Burnley. Like I don't know if yeah. they're what's transferring now to their wage budget to kind of sign him, but like you know, he would be the forward-thinking type of player that Burnley would need, especially you know with their high finish last season. I think they finished seventh, um, and if they want to focus on kind of moving forward, and Shakiri would be the type of player to maybe attract more attractive players to that team. What about you? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting one, and I think you know the top rumors. Obviously, you know papers make up a lot of stuff to to sell the stories, and agents put stuff out to get the ball moving for for certain players. So I personally don't think there's any kind of uh, validity in that rumor. I think it's just that that it's a rumor. Um, mm. So I think yeah, my immediate um, kind of assumption for where Shakiri might go might be somewhere like West Ham, um, kind of mm. back up with Arnautovic. Uh, in London, it's a big club, big stadium. They will be able to pay uh, his wages. I'm not sure how much he's on at Stoke, but I think um, West Ham will be able to to match those. Uh, they are kind of heavily linked with um, Felipe Anderson from Lazio, who kind of operates in a, that, a similar role. That would role. be a big so, transfer for West Ham. Absolutely, yeah. Looks, I've uh, kind of played close attention to him for the last kind of couple of seasons, and absolutely absolute player that I love and wanted Tottenham to sign. Um, did have a bad injury last year and didn't really kind of come back uh, to any sort of form in the, the back end of this the season for Lazio. So uh, managed to, if West Ham managed to sign him, then you know that would be absolute stunning signing. And then love to to see how he adapts to the Premier League because I think mm. he's an absolute huge talent. And you know if he wasn't injured and he was playing regularly on form, I think he could have been in the, in this Brazil squad. Um, yeah. But you know, obviously he's not, so uh, we'll have to wait to potentially see him in the Premier League to play. But 
Um, yeah, I just kind of wanted to, to see your, your thoughts on Shakiri because he is a is a talent, and there's definitely he's... no way he's staying at Stoke uh, next year. <laughs> no, I think um, he already uh, released a statement saying that he's definitely going to be uh, moving away from um, Tuesday nights at Stoke, unfortunately, and he won't be doing it in the yeah. championship. Um, yeah, we've lost we've lost that analogy of can they do it <laughs> yeah. on a wet Wednesday or a wet Tuesday in Stoke. So uh, we'll mm-hmm. have to see who who we can replace that one with. Uh, the last bit I wanted to talk about the game. Obviously, Neymar was fouled ten times uh, during the game, the most uh, by any players I think in a tournament since uh, 1998. Um, Switzerland obviously went to the luck to kind of nullify him at every chance. He also potentially looked to exaggerate or go down at any chances but you know he was brandishing the imaginary yellow card as well towards the end and at one point you even heard him on the, the close to the linesman you know he's like one two three four how many does it take or something like that so mm-hmm. what do you think do you think he exaggerated do you think uh switzerland played a good tactic or, or what did you think well like you know you know the way it always works is like if i'm a referee and i know neymar's got the potential to to exaggerate certain things. Maybe if it was another player, I would have given the yellow by now. Like, for example, in the players such as Messi, um, if it was Messi in the same situation as Neymar, you know, yeah, but Neymar has of um, being rather theatrical and dramatic. Mm-hmm. And maybe due to this, a, re- a referee's got to look at him twice and think, was it bad? Like, sure, it's a free kick, but was it really that bad? You know, did he really cause to down as if he was shot or something like that um yeah you look at even some of these pictures he's like gliding in the air with players not really like putting a foot on him he's just like already on the floor um and like no doubt like the switch players um targeted him very aggressively um but you know players need to realize that if you create a reputation for yourself players such as sterling moses guys that hit the ground mm-hmm. like with ease you're not going to help yourselves in the long term and i think a big player that's actually realized that is Ronaldo. Um, you know, I think right. earlier on his in, in his career, especially in the Premiership, he was known to drop down at the at any you know physical touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as he's you know matured, I presume in his later career, um, he only seems to go down when you know it's a a solid piece of contact. And uh, as you saw in his uh, penalty for Portugal. Um, before that, he would have probably went down in a more theatrical way, but that one looked like a natural movement, as if someone had been tripped, mm-hmm. and then he got the penalty for it, you know? So are you saying that Ronaldo got better at diving, or <laughs> that he's wheeled it out of his game? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm basically saying, yeah, cause... like, look, players, players go down. Um, you know, whether it was a touch that was enough to bring them down, or it wasn't, players still go down. I think... I'm not saying they're getting better at diving, but I think the rule is, is if you've been touched and you go down, um, it's it's a gray area. Like, I need to actually see these rule books, but I think from what I've seen in media, um, if you've been touched, like, you know, like a strong piece of touch and you go down mm-hmm. and it seems like a natural movement should be a foul. Um, and I think players realize that. So I think there's a difference between you know, running past two players and then expecting contact and falling down before the contact, because um, then mm-hmm. that is stimulation, that is dive. Um, but there's a difference to that, and then maybe running with the ball, create, and then contact has been made, and not necessarily enough to go down, but still, it's contact, 
so players feel they've got the right to go down. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. No, because, you know, watching kind of Gareth Bale for Tottenham, and I, I hate seeing players that I support dive, you know, like in towards, uh, I think it was the last season he played for Tottenham, you know, he was kind of happened again and again and again. And, you know, he was like, I got contact, I didn't dive, you know, like, so uh, mm. definitely think players exaggerate to make sure that the refs and, you know, like obviously the, the pictures that we see here, you know, you can see Neymar screaming and, you know, I presume some of these kind of come with uh, a few rolls around on the floor. So, mm. um, yeah, it's it's tough to to uh, analyze it for the ref in real time, you know, like, because mm. I know when I play football and, you know, like a small little knock can take you off your feet, you know, like, but I definitely think players go down easy and players can stay on their feet, but they, they take that option of I've got contact, I'll go down and, you know, guarantee a, a free kick or a penalty where, team might be better balanced or the individual pair might be better balanced to, to have a shot at goal or whatever so it's it's an interesting one and unfortunately it's kind of part of the game now so uh, i don't mm. think it's any way of really kind of rooting it out and well certainly... there, in my opinion there's a simple way to, to rule it mm -hmm. out you know it's be more lenient i suppose with fouls you know like um you know clear fouls i feel like you know football it's like football is supposed to be a contact game not a non-contact game mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. So, like, you should, like, situations where you can't tell if it's a foul or not should not be a foul, in my opinion. I I'm not saying that people should be, like, you know, clotheslining each other and drop kicks. Should be, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, you know, like, any situation where you just can't tell if that's a foul, foul, like, it should be clear, like, this guy took that guy out, it's a foul. But that's, mm -hmm. that's just me. Maybe there's going to be more injuries in David's style of, uh, you know, association football, so maybe it's a better thing that I, I'm not the FIFA president. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's an interesting one, and it would be interesting to see what kind of comes out of this, and does VAR get used for potential dives and stuff? Uh, it would be interesting mm. to see if those those kind of situations um, kind of pop up during this tournament, because, you know, we're only four days in, so a lot more to go in terms of diving and VR and stuff so mm -hmm. um talked a good bit about brazil so let's talk about another one of the um, favorites who oh, played yeah, yesterday yeah. um so yeah d mine shaft they got shafted um <laughs> so another defending champion team uh losing uh, their opening game obviously france in 2002 uh, well, kind of high another... level examples like this is i i just don't know um i think i'm just having bad luck because obviously my my family is Nigerian, but I was born in Germany. Mm -hmm. So this is like my second right. team that I was right. coming to this tournament like uh, you know, ready to go. Even if my if Nigeria lost, and I had Germany to count on, and they let me down. Um, <laughs> I was obviously uh, Mexico again. Another situation of the big teams being cautious, and then the smaller team, you know, having a plan. Although Mexico, unlike the other smaller teams, they gave Germany a good go. Like they. Yeah, absolutely. They attacked each time with gusto. What was that? Yeah, yeah, I fully agree. Um, I, I just feel uh, Germany ran out of, uh, you know, imagination, some creativity. I'm surprised because, like, you look at some of the stacked teams and maybe bar France, bar Brazil, like, Germany are one of those teams that from 1 to 11 have players that, that can do the business, honestly, and, you know, but I think Mexico, again, come in with a plan, uh, stay tight at the back, and then break forward with pace. Um, and they got the goal, and then they they would with, withheld the, the German um, the German attack till the end and you know, got those big, big three points. 
Yeah, absolutely. The I thought Mexico might start ruining uh, some of the chances because, yeah, as you say, they, they kind of broke with with speed and power uh, a lot of times uh, throughout that game. So, um, you know, I was getting fearful for them at this at, towards the end when they hadn't put away any of those chances and. You know, you fully expected Germany just to camp out in their half and eventually get the goal. And you know, if they scored it with enough time to go, that you know, if they scored with ten minutes to go, you know, you possibly would all be able to win it. Well, but, can I ask you uh, a question? They, they played very well. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, a lot of a lot of people are saying that um, you know, despite Germans Germany's technique and power and skill and strength, you know, and strength, the one thing they're missing, bar say Timo. Werner is a real pace, and the mm-hmm. you know the what's the word? Them leaving Leroy Sané behind and going ahead with players such as um, you know Brandt. And um, do you feel that mm-hmm. today is just an example of them kind of you know ruining that decision? You know, like do you think Leroy Sané maybe would have been able to create something different that that German team has because? I'm sure they've got three or four more pl- players that can do the same job as Brandt, but they don't have too many electrifying, pacey, skillful wingers such as Leroy Sané. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I think every, the whole world was shocked, really, when uh, Leroy Sané was not even on the squad. You know, possibly you could understand him not starting a game, but to not bring him to the World Cup was uh, absolutely crazy because, you know, he probably was one of the, the best players in uh, the Premier League last season. And, you know, in terms of player with a lot of flair and beat he definitely brings all those to the table so um yeah i, I do like julian brandt as well um plays for bayern Bayer leverkusen so i think he's got a, a big future and obviously they brought on marco royce as well for who plays for dortmund and coming he is that kind injury. of player as well who can bring yeah coming off injury and you know i think if he wasn't so injury prone i think he would have um been another one of those players to to move from uh, Dortmund to Bayern Munich or, or to maybe even a Premier League team because I think he'd be he would have been great in a club team if he wasn't uh, so injury prone but um, definitely see that point um, they don't really have um, that that kind of pace so they, they kind of have a plan A and you know like when that doesn't come off uh, like mm. it didn't uh, yesterday you know will they be able to um, to change games that aren't uh, kind of working in their favour so um what did you make of the, the Mexico team? Mexico team, um, you know, uh, they were scrappy. That's that's how I just I would describe them. Um, very scrambly. Uh, there was they did show some bits of quality, um, but they they just kind of you know scrapped. You know what? They were they remind me of the Peru team with just that extra bit of quality. The the quality that the Peru team kind of needed to kind of put that game away against Denmark. Right. Um, Mexico. They they are always a solid team. They're always within that top twenty of the best teams in the world. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know they're very they're always very underrated in terms of the talent that they can produce. Obviously, um, uh, Chicharito um, has been mm-hmm. has comes out from Mexico and he plays for them. Um, but they've also produced some other decent players in the past. Um, also, some players that maybe should have become they have Gio Santos. He's a big player. Like ten years ago, yeah. who I thought was going to be a world beater, but never kind of lived up to it. But seems to do okay um, on the Mexican side. And um, but overall, they even from the goal to their performance, it was scrappy, scrambly, a lot of hard shown, and very happy, I guess, semi for them to get the win. 
Yeah, I think they they played great kind of counter-attacking football. Um, so yeah, they, they kind of exposed Germany quite a quite a number of times. Obviously, they do have quite a bit of pace in their side, so they had um, a lot of different um, kind of counter-attacking fast breaks, and then obviously that led to the goal. So uh, the player who put the ball in the, the back of the net was Lazono, and um, plays for PSV. You know, he's Mexico's top scorer in qualifying. Yeah, sorry, did you drop out there, did you? Yeah, <laughs> well, you saw us yeah. talking there for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was talking about uh, Lozado, so, you know, obviously he scored the goal yesterday, uh, top scorer for Mexico in qualifying, uh, top scorer for PSV last year, and, you know, he's only 22 years old, so, you know, before the tournament actually started, we kind of talked about these players that, you know, might kind of announce themselves and potentially get big money moves, so... Uh, I think he looked like a quite an impressive player, and you know, playing in the Eredivisie, the the potential to to move to a bigger European uh, league and team uh, is definitely there. So, uh, did he impress you, or or what did you think about him? Irving Lozano. Yeah. I thought he very impressive. Um, mm-hmm. even before his goal, he uh, got a couple of shots in that either tested the goalkeeper or was pretty close um, to going in. Mm-hmm. And he's a player actually that. Um, for for a while, I don't know if it's gonna actually happen now at this stage because he's a bit older. But for, there was a long um, period of time he was um, being connected with teams in England, uh, mainly London teams, uh, Tottenham and Arsenal. Um, but mm-hmm. this game today, he uh, showed exactly, I suppose, why he's one of Mexico's shining lights in terms of talent and in terms of what they can do. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, so be interesting to see how he goes because. You know, he is um, a young, exciting player, so the future is bright for him. Um, did you see the news about uh, an earthquake in Mexico uh, um, around the, the time of the, the celebration? Or it's the time was it created by the Mexico fans, or was this like an... Yeah, yeah. No, no, apparently that could have been triggered by the uh, fans celebrating the uh, the Mexican goal. So, obviously, Mexico City is a, a huge city. You know, 20 or 30 million people. So, um, you know, there was obviously like a collective jumping for joy. So uh, that was an interesting um, kind of side note of, of a great tournament or a great match. Yeah, that, that is uh, very surprising. I think I did hear actually news of this. Um, but uh, I know how seriously I should take it. But wow. Um, <laughs> you know, imagine they actually won the whole damn thing. Like, <laughs> I know. Be insane. They'd be, they'd be partying for a year, I think. Mm. Um so yeah, just pulling up the, the who scored here. Um, what did you think of Timo Werner for for Germany? Um, Timo Werner. Uh, uh, mm. I just felt he could uh, uh, very just disappointed, but I don't think it's his fault. I think it's where what the coach did. Usually, Blo uh, gets things right, but uh, putting him up front in this type of game was probably not the place for it. I felt Müller would have done more of a job um, up front. Um, Germany, a while, were going the same way Spain were for a while in terms of that false nine role. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, Müller does a good job of being a round data space investigator and kind of putting himself into little pockets while Vern, a direct player, very quick, he would have maybe had more of an impact on the right-hand side. And then Draxler, who's kind of like a more... Ozil type player on the left, playmaker. Um, Cruz as well was actually quite impressive for me. Uh, Kadira was silent, but I suppose his 
his type of uh, position, type of role is kind of unseen unless he does a bad job. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In terms of their defense, you know, they got, un- it's hard to say they got unlucky, but, you know, it's not like they got played off the park against Mexico. They were the one doing most of the work. Kimmich going forward on the right-hand side, he's always impressed me all year. I felt he did well. Yeah. And in terms of Mexico, obviously, you know, we're both very impressed with Herving Lozano. Um, he, he's done he a good job. Herrera as well was very impressive, industrious. Chicorito, you know, even if he doesn't score, you know he's going to put good, uh, good shift and making the defense work and also tracking back for his teammates. And um, overall, the Mexican team, um, the goalkeeper Guillermo Ochoa, um, he's been in that team now for the last couple of tournaments, um, and he's always mm-hmm. impressed me. Um, I remember playing with him in like FIFA 06, thinking he's going to be like the next <laughs> thing. He never really came out into the, the next big thing, but he's always been a solid goalkeeper for Mexico. Um, so yep. I'm I'm looking at that German team now in terms of maybe who could uh, come in. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, maybe Royce might start ahead of Werner, and then they might put Müller up front. I really think he needs to start up front for them to really get their attack going. Um, Gomez is not has never really impressed me for the last on the international front. Anyway, I know he's scored goals all the time. Um, for his club, but um, internationally, I don't think he's would be my pick. Um, I feel maybe Gundogan for Kadira, if they're playing one of the smaller teams, could maybe uh, right. add a little bit more uh, offensive prowess while also keeping the midfield solid. Um, but apart from that, oh, and Goretzka as well, maybe needs Goretzka, a, a yeah, I was going to mention. Um, but yeah, apart from that, uh, you know, congratulations, Mexico and Germany. You know, you better get going. Absolutely, yeah. You know, the old adage of never write off the Germans, you know, it's only been one game. And I think, you know, obviously they've had the experience of winning the World Cup. So hopefully they'll be hurting after the, the loss yesterday. So they might be able to, to kind of get back to a collective mentality and kind of push things forward. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they uh, kind of progress in the, the next game. And yeah, I was going to mention uh, Goretzka as well. Uh, surprised he didn't come off the bench yesterday because I think he's mm-hmm. a great player and, you know, he's the, the latest. A uh, big German uh, player to move from pretty big German team in Schalke, and he's moved to to Bayern Munich. So, um, be interested to see him get some game time ahead of uh, playing for Bayern Munich next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, kind of moving on to the game that's kind of um, currently on right now. There's uh, 30 minutes gone, uh, nil all between uh, Sweden and South Korea. Um, not too much kind of happened yet. Uh, South Korea had a, a player taken off injured. Uh, looked like a, a hamstring injury. Um, Son is obviously uh, their kind of main player. He's just went down uh, with the foul to um, to win a free kick for his side. Um, so yeah, what do you think of uh, Sweden and, and South Korea? Um, I feel well. This game, uh, I, I'm unfortunately not uh, catching at the moment, but I will be able to catch the second half. Um, in terms of what I expected before it, uh, I I didn't expect much for this game. I will not lie to you, um, especially mm-hmm. with um, the big personality Ibrahimovic not being brought with them right. um, to the World Cup. It's uh, usually Sweden's always a bang average team unless they had Larsen or Ibrahimovic team. And just for the first time in a long time, they don't have either. And I'm talking about the legend Henrik Larsen. That's yeah, sad Larsen. Yeah, and I'm. I'm thinking they'll do a, a good in getting out of this group. That would be an achievement, I think, in themselves. South Korea, they're a surprisingly talented squad, um, obviously led by your man, Son. 
Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't know how's it been going so far. Who's been um, edging it in the game? Um, yeah, I've just been kind of paying attention uh, kind of loosely as we've been kind of talking. So uh, there hasn't been any kind of clear-cut chances or anything that I've seen. Um, there was just a stat up there about uh, nine fouls committed by Sweden so far and ten fouls committed by South Korea. So I think it's... Um, be more about the fouls and uh, kind of shots on goal or anything so far. So um, mm. yeah, yeah, that's looks like a, a cagey enough kind of game. I think uh, both teams kind of recognise that you know they don't want to lose this game, and if they can snatch a win, then that's what they'll go for. Because got Germany and, and Mexico in their group, so obviously Mexico winning yesterday for against Germany is kind of bad for both of these teams because um, you know kind of puts their chances of, of qualifying. Uh, kind of up against it, so one of these teams would probably need to to win this game to have any chance of getting out of the group stage. Um, of course. Yeah, there's probably not too many um, players on the, the Sweden uh, squad um, that people recognise other than kind of Seb Larsson. They are definitely more of a, a collective unit without that big star, as you mentioned, without um, a Henrik Larsson or Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Um, but obviously then, you know, South Korea have got Son and they've got... Um, uh, Key who plays for uh, Swansea. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they can um, uh, put things together. Um, well, you, so you look at you, you look at um, South Korea, and they they've always um, they've always surprisingly been a decent footballing country. You know, mm-hmm. um, I guess all the way in 2002 when they hosted it and made that controversial, improbable run to the quarterfinals. Um, yeah, since then you've always seen one or two big names, Park Ji Sung in the past, now who wins mm-hmm. uh, uh, the main man. Um, so uh, I won't be surprised if they, you know, I, I think uh, I might go ahead and make a little prediction to, and go for South Korea right. to win the game 1-0. Yeah. Um, Interesting. I talked about the South Korean team now, I won't lie, but uh, I, I <laughs> do think that modern footballing hits South Korea the edge. Um, Sweden, in terms of their team, the player most people, I guess, would know is the underperforming um, Lindelof from Manchester United, um, right. and then Sebastian uh, Sebastian uh, Larson. A player that I actually love, and um, mainly for my FIFA exploits, <laughs> is Ekdal in the middle. Um, but okay. his job in Italy, um, he can pass the ball, he's got good vision, and I promise this is not the stats that FIFA gives me. This is from my experience <laughs> from time to time. Um, so watch out for him. If Sweden do get any success, it's probably because the exploits of Seb, Seb Larsen and Ekdal in the middle of the pitch. Okay, yeah, that's a completely new name on me. So, yeah, I do love um, Football Manager and FIFA uh, for that, you know, kind of identifying kind of new players that, um, you know, are talented but might not have that kind of household kind of recognition. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to, mm. to see him play, and I'll definitely keep an eye out as, as the game progresses. Um, so, yeah, this is the, the probable team. This is like a preview from who scored. Um, don't know if this is the actual team that's um, playing, so uh, we, we can check that out later and, and kind of maybe have it in our review of the game afterwards. Um, but, yeah, these are the, the odds. So, yeah, your South Korea um, 1-0 is 10-1, to 1, so that's... That's quite an interesting uh, pick. You guys so, uh, wouldn't be surprised if that happened because you know they do have uh, probably the best player on the pitch is Hyungmin Son. So mm. 
you know, it probably won't be a high-scoring game. Obviously, it's still nil all after 36 minutes. So uh, if there is a team to win, it probably will be by a single goal. So uh, that's that's an interesting pick and probably something that I would kind of echo as well, you know. And, you know, if I was to put a bet right now, I'd do South Korea 1-0 with Hyungmin Son being that uh, goal. It would be interesting to see uh, in an hour's time or, or something like that, if either of those predictions are, are right. Uh, so anything else you want to speak about on Sweden and South Korea? Um, to be honest, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's... Not my, uh, it's not a game I'm looking forward to, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, kind of moving on, and then obviously the, the last kind of group to, to play uh, includes uh, Belgium and England. Uh, so those two teams are playing, uh, not playing each other yet. Um, so we got first up, we got uh, Belgium playing Panama. Obviously, Belgium are kind of one of the, the better squads in the tournament. Kind of a lot of people's uh, dark horses for actually winning it. Um, a lot of people will say the main weakness probably is uh, Roberto Martinez as manager. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how they play. And, you know, we haven't, they're, them in England are probably the, the two biggest teams that we haven't seen play yet. So we don't know of, we don't have an indication of how they're uh, kind of going to line up or what sort of attitude they're kind of bringing or, or what kind of form all the players are in. So, yeah, well, well, like, what are you looking forward to today? Well, like, look, Belgium are going to beat Panama. Like, that's not a question. Mm-hmm. I just want to talk about how Belgium are going to play going forward. And, right. you know, history history tells us, like, we've seen Roberto Martinez play um, with Everton and Wigan. And he obviously hasn't had the talent at his disposal that he has with Belgium. So I, I need to – it's been a struggle for me to imagine how this Belgium team is going to set up. If, if we're going to go by their Everton slash Wigan kind of – history that he has I presume he's gonna set up very solid and then maybe mm-hmm. let two or three of his players kind of take the the majority of the attacking load so maybe we can imagine that it's going to be players such as De Bruyne, Lukaku and Hazard that will be the main three while the rest will be trying to focus on showing up a strong um, strong core and back line um, but maybe with Thierry Henry by side and realizing that he does have probably one of the most talent rich sides in the world and probably the greatest Belgium squad ever. Um, Definitely. You know, he, he would be remiss if he didn't play a more vibrant, flow, flowing style of football. But yes, so far, the, so far the, you know, the kind of story of the World Cup has always been the bigger teams playing lesser than they can. So I really hope Roberto Martinez, you know, shuts up the critics and puts out a team that can play to their potential. Yeah, 100%. And uh, we'll talk about you know the, the probable uh, team selection in a second. But I just wanted to talk briefly about Panama, obviously. Tiny country, first ever World Cup. So I think they're absolutely delighted to get there. And they beat out the, the USA uh, for a spot in the World Cup. So I think absolutely huge achievement for them getting to the World Cup. Um, and I think they'll just be happy to be part of it. But you know I think they'll show a lot of passion and heart and have that kind of team ethic uh, to try and frustrate Belgium. Uh, don't know too much. Players, uh, to be perfectly honest, uh, but here you can see a picture of them, you know, kind of arriving in Russia. They all have their <laughs> their hats on, and they're all like happy, smiling. <laughs> yeah, so it'll be interesting to to see them, and um, uh, obviously they're they're playing one of the the, the best teams in the tournament. So uh, hoping for a good game. Um, but yeah, that's let's kind of take a look at the probable starting lineups because uh, you know you kind of alluded to it there of 
been interested to see how their how Martinez and Thierry Henry are going to set up the the Belgium side. So um, according to who scored anyway, and you know these are obviously kind of kind of best guesses as opposed to anything else. But uh, it looks like according to them they're going to be setting up in a three four three for Tang and Boyata and Alderweireld as the the three centre backs. Um, great defence and obviously Courtois behind them, world class goalkeeper. Uh, so I do think they will be uh, kind of defensively solid. And, you know, they got Carrasco. He played for a while at Atletico, had since moved to China, which I think is surprising. Um, but, you know, if he is playing left wing back role, then I think that might be um, kind of a weak spot because he is not the best uh, defender. But uh, if he's kind of been well drilled to, to play that role, then he might be able to do it. And, you know, against a team like Panama, he might be able to, you know, not be under as much pressure as he would if he's playing like some against like England or something. And then the rest of the midfield, uh, Vidal, you know, again another player playing in China, played in Russia previously, so highly rated in Belgium, but he's never really um kind of played in the, the top leagues around the world. Um so uh, a lot of players don't really kind of or a lot of fans don't really rate him because you know he hasn't really kind of proved on the biggest stage. So uh, be interesting to see how he does. And then obviously Kevin De Bruyne um, one of the best players in the Premier League last season, so uh, he'll probably be the, the one kind of pulling the strings from them in a, an attacking sense. Um, a year right back for for PSG, um, so he'll be in that, the right wing back role according to this uh, lineup. And then in front of Hazard, Lukaku, and Dries Martins, uh, three absolute beasts uh, in an attacking sense. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of uh, link up play. Obviously, Lukaku will be. Uh, the one kind of leading the line and Hazard and Mertens possibly kind of swapping sides and dropping deep and being very kind of fluid uh, in an attacking sense. So what do you think of this uh, probable lineup? Is it something you'd agree with? I think, in, in like I'm reading it as a very attacking team, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think Carrasco is another attacking player because you can't really, if you look at a Panama team and if it really is going to be set up such as like a 5-4-1, um, where you got four wide midfielders rather than two wingers. It just looks mm-hmm. like Panama are just going to try and set up two big blocks of defense and let Belgium break them down. Um, so, you know, you got Carrasco, Mounier, who's a great defender, but can also add something going forward. Um, De Bruyne, obviously, probably right now the best central midfielder in the game right now. Lukaku, mm-hmm. who's a top 10 striker in the world right now. And I think he would... You know, he's a dark horse for the top goal scorer um, pick because unlike a lot of teams, you know, Belgium do do include Lukaku in the build-up play quite a lot. And he seems to be at the end of things a lot. And look, look, Lukaku's a guy, like, he wouldn't be exactly, uh, you, will, you wouldn't say he's, you know, going to be a guy that's going to be scoring on an unbelievable amount of goals each season, like 30, 40 goals. But he just mm-hmm. always seems to get you your 20 goals, your 25 goals per season. And I feel mm-hmm. if you can add this now to tournament um, uh, football, you could easily see him maybe grabbing five or six goals, which is usually enough to, to get that golden ball sometimes. So um, right. Absolutely. I, yeah. I do see a really attacking lineup. Although I would like to see um, a young player uh, called uh, Tielemans get some time. He's a, he's a big mm. player. I don't know. Do you know if he made the squad? I'm pretty sure he made the squad. Um, um, yeah, not 100% sure. I, I would assume he would have, because um, yeah, when I was reading out that team, it was Musa Dembele and Tielemans that were the the two uh, kind of ones that I was looking out for to see if they would make um, the starting lineup in in the yeah. centre midfield. Because yeah, like obviously De Bruyne is kind of a shoe in, but 
you know, Witzel next to him. Um, and that's the thing, though. Um, Axel Witzel, like, seems to be a player that Mart- um, Martinez loves because uh, he mm-hmm. did leave out um, uh, some big players in in place of Axel Witzel, who's, you know, applying his trade now in China. Um, and, like, no doubt he's a talent and he's always been a good player. You know, he's always been solid as well for Zenit when he was right there, too. But, um, you know, obviously, he's is he still the same player? He's obviously not playing against the same sort of time. It's obviously cost Oscar uh, his spot in a Brazilian lineup. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, Martinez seems to believe um, in Axel Vissel's talents and continues to uh, abide by him. Yeah. And, yeah, just checking the squad there and T-Elements is there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he gets some game time. Obviously, some other kind of absentees from this uh, predicted starting lineup is Vincent Company. Um and Marion Fellaini uh, and Batshuayi. Um, so I think there's a couple of injuries there with some of those players, and Dembele yeah, is, is kind of always injured. Yeah, yeah. So they definitely have players on the bench as well. You know, Torgan Hazard as well has played well for Werder Bremen, I think, this season. Obviously, the younger brother of Eden Hazard. Um, Nasser Chadley, who's played in the Premier League for, for a while. You know, he's another big, strong player who can uh, add an attacking thread as well. Um, mm. So I think, yeah, on paper, Belgium have definitely one of the, the strongest squads. So it would be interesting to yeah. see if they can, um, you know, be one of those big teams that actually can uh, put in a big performance. And playing against Panama, you kind of expect them to because they're probably the, the biggest team that are playing like one of the weakest teams. So um, looking forward to this game and, and seeing uh, a Belgium uh, play. That's here. Yeah, so just checking the the odds. Yeah, so Belgium heavy favourites, Panama, um, rank outsiders, no surprise there. Um, but it's interesting that you know two nil is kind of uh, the predicted score here, judging on the odds. So um, expecting a, a couple of goals. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. Mm, yeah, I I would uh, I I think they might score. Uh, well, I'm hoping this is me being wishful, but I think a, a three plus mm. um, goals. Like I can't see Panama scoring at all. Um, right. Yeah, so it'd be fun game to watch, though. Hopefully, if Belgium can get their attack looking. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you kind of mentioned Lukaku, but being a potential uh, um, golden boot for this tournament. So you know, if he's if he puts in a couple of goals here today, he'll definitely um, kind of put his, yeah, uh, his name in the hat. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because obviously it's Ronaldo, current uh, top goal scorer in the tournament. Um, so. Yeah, I think if you have anything else to add, we'll kind of move on to the, the final game uh, this evening, which is uh, obviously the, the England game. Um, so they're the, the, the last team to, to kind of play in this first round of matches. So, so what are you expecting from England? Oh, uh, you know, you never <laughs> know with England. Uh, but you kind of always do know that they always <laughs> they always disappoint somehow. Um, uh, on paper, let's let's judge them off paper firstly, rather than history. And on paper, right. this is probably I won't say their best team now for a while, but it's probably the most promising team. You know, a young player is just entering their prime. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's no one with real strong amounts of experience in the actual squad. Maybe Cahill's probably one of their right. uh, older campaigners, and Henderson. Um, but what they lack. And experience, you know, 
what they lack in international experience, they gain in club experience. You know, you look at players like um, El, uh, Dela Ali, Walker, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of these players, their age, have played at Trim Games. Um, and uh, they will be coming into this, I think, with some quiet confidence. You know, there's less of a spotlight put on England this year rather than usual. I think the fans, um, despite what you think, I think the, the fans this year have come into this tournament kind of just expecting just a good show. You know, for once, no mm. real talk of winning the whole thing, but just um, trying on this tournament for future tournaments to come. Um, and who knows? They could be a cheeky, a cheeky pick for a semi-final bird if things do click right. Um, my only trouble, my only problem with them has always been goals. Mm-hmm. And they, I don't know what the problem just seems to be. They set up, they set up to be very solid. And um, Gareth Southgate, obviously being a defender, he's always focused mm-hmm. on um, conceding the least amount rather than scoring the most. Um, and obviously, with their most likely, it's going to be a three-five-three um, setup. If I'm not um, mistaken, uh, you're going to mm-hmm. probably see that see a lot of wide wing play, um, trying to play, trying to get Sterling and Rashford or whoever is going to be the wide forward players involved. So, um, you know, in terms of the tournament, my prediction will probably be depending on who they play, a uh, round of sixteen or quarterfinal exit. I think. And they definitely have all the capabilities to surprise us and, you know, it will be fun to watch them anyways. Yeah, definitely. Like the, you know, obviously watched um, League in the World. So a lot of these players, you know, are, are being watched by fans around the world on a, a regular basis. So, yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see who they've uh, decided to, to put out as a starting eleven. Obviously, there's been kind of you know, potential leaks in a lot of the, the media and stuff. And, you know, I think even Gareth Southgate, I think it was possibly on Friday that he kind of told the team who's playing. So I think that's an interesting call. Obviously, there's kind of two trains of thought, um, you know, announced it the day before or a couple, even a couple of hours before, uh, but he's gone for multiple days before, which is an interesting one. So um, we can take a look at their uh, kind of predicted uh, lineup. And obviously, you don't really know until the teams are officially announced. But, yeah, I think, you know, they're kind of rumoured to be going with um, um, 3-4-3 style um, formation. So um, I think the the big kind of call in the team is Henderson versus Dyer. So um, it looks like it's going to be Henderson starting there in uh, kind of defensive midfield alongside Ali, um, with Lingard kind of dropping deep and making uh, kind of forward runs. Um, so Walker, I think yeah, yeah. So it's um, he's played there as well for Man City uh, last season as being um, you know, the the right hand side centre back. Maguire. Um, I had a yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's that's what the rumours are anyway. So we'll, we'll see um, how that goes. So I think you know Gary Cahill wasn't playing a lot for Chelsea last year. He kind of came into the side towards the end of the season. Um, so I think you know Maguire was a. Uh, and ever present in the Leicester team, so um, there's obviously a big call to make there as well. Um, so obviously, I think you're citing on the Cahill side. So uh, um, I think Harry Maguire is a great centre back, um, loves to play with the ball as well, and kind of makes forward runs with the ball uh, as well as stones. Uh, so I think there's a lot of vertical movement in that kind of back line, and you know, obviously with can, the, the speed you... of Walker. 
can you see offensively where they my problems? Like, I can just easily see them. I don't know if it would be against this Tunisia team, but, like, you know, I just don't see where... I, I Like, against a decent team, anyway, I don't know. I don't know too much about Tunisia, but I don't see where the mm-hmm. goals are going to come from from a team that can that's solid and can set up um, quite, quite, um, like, quite solidly. Um, if they plan on setting up a 3-4-3 like that, ooh, um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not too confident <laughs> yeah. with, with that. Yeah, I guess you, you you never know, but like I've said, I think Harry Kane will probably be uh, leading the line up front on his own, and then you know Sterling and and Lingard kind of operating either side of him potentially, or or dropping deep. Mm. And you know those two players have absolute blistering pace, so I think they've got huge potential to to kind of operate between the the centre backs and. You know, kind of occupy the defensive midfielders as well. Um, so I think, you know, there is potential there. Um, but you know, things need to be kind of clicking for England, and it'd be interesting to see how they kind of adapt. And you know, we haven't talked too much about Tunisia, but and I don't really know too much about uh, their team. But you know, they went unbeaten in their their qualifying. A lot of people say that they're the the best uh, African side to to make it to the championship. So uh, I don't think it would be kind of a rollover. Um, so it'd be interesting to see. What kind of style of football they bring, and you know, obviously England uh, will be kind of under pressure to uh, get the win. So, um, any sort of predictions, or, or what are you kind of thinking for for this game? Obviously, I think you know, as the odds kind of show here, that England are, are definite favourites. So, uh, what are your personal thoughts on on the likely outcome? I'm gonna go two-one win. Two on win. England, okay. I think England are will always be a bit iffy at the back, so they might concede one goal maybe from a from a set piece. But I mm-hmm. think I think they got two goals in them. Um and Tunisia will give them a scare and then obviously after the game we'll start criticizing England for such a poor <laughs> blah blah blah. But I think they'll get the two one win and uh obviously go into Panama with confidence. Uh, and then obviously they'll set them up for the the big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that should be a great match, and I think the the fixtures have kind of suited the, both of those two big teams that they get to play the the two kind of minnows in their group first, and you know set up like a what looks like to be a first second place playoff, you know. Um, so my predictions for tonight: nil uh, win for England. Um, I think they'll um, have a to get there, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's uh, nil all at halftime, and then you know as the, the game progresses, and can kind of come away with it. Um, so yeah, that's that'll be my prediction for the for the game. Um, so yeah, we've spoken for uh, about an hour, hour and a bit. Um, so is there anything else uh, you want to add? That's everything that we've kind of got on the 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 rundown for no, what I, we want to talk about today. No, I think um, we're, we're both gonna come up with a nice uh, review show after the end of mm-hmm. this so we can kind of review the first kind of set of games um, who's impressed us, who's not impressed us and kind of uh, look forward to the next set of games um, so anything you have to add? Yeah, not really, no, like obviously excited to, to see uh, the games this evening because you know, Belgium and England are, are two teams that you know, obviously myself and others would know a lot about uh, the individual players so I think there's definitely uh, a lot to be excited about and 
you know, a lot of um, interesting developments should happen. So, yeah, the this is the end of the game round one. So obviously there's, there's kind of no let up in terms of games, and you know there's games pretty much um, here on out. So yeah, we'll have a kind of a quick recap of the the games uh, that were played today, um, and then kind of wrap up uh, round one as well. So um, yeah, I think that should be a good. A nice little uh, breathing point uh, before the next round of games kick off uh, tomorrow. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. Excellent. So that was another um, black and white football show, another one in the can. Um, we're going to try and do these as often as we can and, and speak about as many games as we can. So obviously trying a new format this time with um, kind of presentation instead of our faces as the live stream. So uh, let us know how you kind of feel about that. The last one, you know, the, the video quality was uh, kind of shocking. We're, we're kind of looking like we've got uh, kind of weird filters on our face of <laughs> dodgy quality. Um, so hopefully the broadcast of this one uh, was a bit better. So, um, yeah, I guess we can um, we can talk on the, the next show and uh, do our roundup. Perfect, perfect. Uh, so, uh, yeah, let us know in the comments what you think, and uh, we'll be back later on for... Uh... Uh, another show absolutely thanks for watching guys and see you at the next one